Hello and welcome to Trending Pet Food, the industry podcast where we cover all the latest hot topics and trends in pet food. I'm your host and editor of Pet Food Industry Magazine, Lindsay Beaton, and I'm here today with Better Choice Company CEO, Scott Lerner. Hi, Scott, and welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. In case you're not familiar with Scott, here's a little bit about him. He's a consumer products veteran with 20 plus years of experience in the consumer packaged goods industry, having previously worked for PepsiCo, ConAgra Foods, and Kimberly Clark where he managed iconic brands such as Naked Juice, Quaker Oats, Scott Tissue, and Parquet Margarine. In 2008, Scott created his own beverage brand called Selixir, resulting in a successful exit in 2014. Following the sale of Selixir, Scott partnered with the private equity group VMG Partners to become the CEO of Colonel Seasons, where he introduced new product lines, increased profitability by 30%, and oversaw the sale of the company to Highlander Partners. He was most recently the CEO of food brand Farmhouse Culture, where he partnered with private equity investors to reposition the brand in order to capitalize on growing health and wellness trends. Better Choice Company is a rapidly growing animal health and wellness company committed to leading the industry shift toward pet products and services that help dogs and cats live healthier, happier, and longer lives. The company takes a nutrition-based approach to animal health relative to conventional dog and cat food offerings and positions its portfolio of brands to benefit from the mainstream trends of growing pet humanization and consumer focus on health and wellness. Better Choice Company sells the majority of its dog food, cat food, and treats under the Halo brand, which is focused on providing sustainably and transparently sourced kibble and canned food derived from high-quality animal proteins and minimally processed raw diet dog food and treats. Scott's CPG experience, as well as the way he's built his team at Better Choice, make him the perfect person to help me answer today's question. What role does having the right people play in building a successful business strategy? So Scott, I want to get started by getting your methodology a little bit. What I want to know first is what influenced your decision to hire outside the pet food realm when you took over as CEO of Better Choice? Sure. And again, thanks for having me. I like to start with a strategic focus on how I feel I can grow a brand very quickly. And when I surveyed the pet food landscape, I said to myself, both as a pet parent and purchaser of pet food and a marketer, that uh, there wasn't a ton of differentiation going on in the marketplace. The industry had been a little sea of sameness for the last 10 years or so. So I initially came in and created a mission statement to be the most innovative premium pet food company in the world. And by driving to that mission, I knew I needed to be different, both from a brand perspective and then ultimately the team that we put in place. Because listen, if you just bring in folks that have been in the pet food industry for years, that's usually what you're going to spit out at the end of the day is something that looks similar to what everyone else is doing. So in order to, again, be different, we, we distinctly created an environment where we had folks that had experience within the pet food industry and then other individuals within this broader CPG landscape that didn't have that experience within pet, but still knew how to build brands, run a CPG business. We brought in folks from the food and beverage side. We brought folks in from, you know, as an example, the woman who's running my DTC business from Crate and Barrel. So it's kind of a mishmash of talent across different platforms, and it really creates diversity in thought and, and really matches up again to the mission to be different. 
You mentioned innovation just now, and that is a word that gets tossed around a lot in the industry. And you're right, this market is very saturated, very mature, especially in North America. And it can be hard to really stand out. When you came in with the idea to be innovative, what picture was in your head of what innovation looks like? My approach was really the thesis around the pet food industry, in my mind, was talking to the pet and not the pet parent. And it wasn't mimicking trends that were happening in the human food and beverage world in terms of building a transparent brand that communicates distinctly to that end consumer and really creates that badge value. So that was the mindset coming in, in terms of innovation, in terms of being different, was to leverage the learnings I had from the food and beverage side of the world, and then rally around a key insight. You know, I'm always about the consumer drives the process here, and and you want to really start with what's happening in their brain. And so this insight around many pet parents, specifically millennial Gen Z pet parents, see their pet as no different than their human child. And in many instances, they don't have human children yet. Their pet really their son or their daughter, if you will. And I'm sure, Lindsay, you know many folks that have that mindset. So that was the approach from the get, and that's really what we're rallying around. You're right. that There's a lot of overlap in the way humans treat themselves and the way they treat their pets, especially when it comes to food and what they're looking for in a nutritious diet or a healthy diet or just a lot of the trends that come from the human food space into the pet space. So when taking all of that into consideration and deciding to hire in the consumer packaged goods space outside of the pet space, what did you determine was needed for a successful hire that had nothing to do with pet food experience? Give me an example of a position you were hiring for and what you really wanted to make sure you had in terms of skill set and that you knew the pet food experience you could help with later. I think, you know, my background, I was in the Marine Corps for five years as an officer, and I'm I'm very linear in in my thought process. And I'm always about the individual has a specific job to do. And so when I look at the job, I try to fill the position with someone that obviously can be successful in that. So like, let's take, for example, our relationship with the retailer Chewy. Chewy is very different than Amazon. It's very different than Petco and other independent pet food stores. And requires, in my mind, a unique partnership to grow the business. So it didn't, in my mind, matter if someone managing that business knew the pet food industry or knew cottage cheese or nutrition bars. So we went out and hired a woman from Cliff Bar that had 12 years experience in the conventional CPG world, dealing with whatever Publix, Meyer, you kind of name it but really charismatic, really strong personality and someone that I thought could go build that relationship. That's a perfect example of someone that had zero pet food industry experience uh, that's come in and done a really good job of building a partnership there. And in that same vein, as I spoke about before, if we look at from a direct-to-consumer lifecycle marketing standpoint, I surveyed companies out there that I thought were doing a really good job about creating a seamless journey offline, online, 
And I said, okay, Crate and Barrel is one that does it. I'm sure you've shopped there, Lindsay, whether it's in-store or online and do a great job from a CRM perspective. And so I was connected through my network to a woman who had spent a good bit of time there. And I said, wow, why can't we replicate that approach here and then just filter in the pet food area on top of that? Those are two examples of folks that had not only no pet food experience, but totally divergent experiences to where we put them in here. Like the Chewy salesperson was dealing with a brick and mortar retailer. She had never really worked on the e-commerce side, but to me, that doesn't matter. Like, I think if you have a mindset of wanting to stretch yourself, challenge yourself, and you're just a talented, smart person, you're going to be successful, whatever the role. And it's really, again, counterbalance with, we do have folks that have significant pet food experience. Like Donald Young is our chief sales officer. He spent 20 plus years in the industry. He built Nutro, he built Merrick and sold both of those businesses. And so, you know, that's an example of someone that's been there, done that, that can also help guide these new folks into the challenges of the pet food industry. So how important is making your team a true collaborative team in this case? Because if you have people with lots of pet industry experience, you have people with no pet industry experience coming together, obviously they're going to have to mesh really well and be able to help each other out. How do you navigate that during the hiring process? And what are some of the good traits that you look for or looked for when you were putting together the team to be like, okay, these guys are going to be able to work together really well. They're going to bounce off each other and they're going to get everybody up to speed in all the ways they need to be up to speed so we can all be successful. First and foremost, in any good organization, the culture starts at the top and the leader establishes what that culture wants to be. And it was really interesting because we did this in the heart of the pandemic. Basically, everything was shut down. People weren't traveling. And I knew that not only then and going forward, we were going to embrace a remote working environment. So we actually created a 20-page document that we talk about our win from anywhere culture and, and sort of the rules of the road and, and the type of culture that we want to create. And so it isn't something that just appeared out of thin air and it's not something that's floating out in thin air. It's something that's grounded on a piece of paper. And that's really helped us figure out the type of person that we want in the organization and, and really also driving towards diversity. So it's someone that the self-starter can own their day but I also like folks that I kind of use the analogy, want to stick their hand out and get it slapped, right? Want to take risks, want to challenge themselves, and also just have a great personality and can fit and work with the other team members. And more importantly, within this remote work environment, because some folks just really can't, and it's no fault of them. It requires someone that works well through a Zoom conversation like we're doing right now and can embrace that. That is sort of the basis of the type of person that we look to bring on. And then if you create that mindset of what you're looking for, it's very, I wouldn't say easy to go find that person, but it's a lot easier to go find the right person. I've interviewed a lot of folks over the years or in specifically here that were really talented and smart, but just didn't fit the culture and also didn't drive the diversity that we're looking for as well, because, you know, I think a lot of times when companies start out, they have this mindset of being diverse, innovative, 
and then over time it migrates back into sort of this homogeneous environment and so consciously we pushed ourselves to make sure that not only are we hiring different gender race whatever other traits you want to talk about but also a different way of thinking to continually be accretive to the culture those are some examples of, of the types of persons we're looking at that makes it real easy to strip out the title the industry the company and really get to the person and then probe with that individual like hey are you going to be a good fit here and then also go to their network and have really tangible questions to ask in terms of validating whether that person is going to be a cultural fit for a company like better choice when you first were starting out and you were figuring out how to build your team and what you needed and who you needed and the skill sets, what were some of the challenges throughout that process in getting the people around you who you really wanted to get around you? I hired 20 plus people since I've been here and none of those hires were ever met in person. To backtrack, it goes back to having a clear roadmap of what we want to do strategically from a company perspective and then the type of individuals that we needed. So each job description, it was very detailed in terms of not only the skill set needed, but the mindset needed as well. That was the biggest challenge in the beginning was really structuring it in that way to understand specifically what we were needing so we didn't make a mistake in a hire. I want to go back to something you said about how you can start out wanting to gather this diverse team around you, but then as things settle in, you sort of lose that vision and everything kind of gets a little more humdrum eventually. How do you think you can combat something like that, like complacency? Because especially in this industry where you really do want to stay on top of things and be innovative and constantly bring in new talent and new ideas so that you can stand out as a company, It can be really easy to let a culture languish and kind of assume that because things are going well, you don't need to look at anything. How do you fight that as somebody who really wants to continue to focus on diversity and staying innovative and staying on top of things? In my experience, the first thing that needs to happen is you need to have a clear plan for the business. Everybody knows what they need to do so that you as the leader can spend a good bit of time on a daily basis making people uncomfortable because they'll never do it at their level and probably at the next level up. So I like to continually look to where I can push the team and and really treat myself as the quality control officer, if you will, whether that's a a tweet or a TikTok uh, ad or just something we're working on from an innovation perspective. You need someone that's not deep in the weeds to push the envelope in terms of innovation. And and that's really the approach that I've taken, not only a better choice, but in, in my past life is to really try to separate myself from the day to day and the tactical execution and look at the strategy. And also from a psychological perspective, making sure that people don't get comfortable because the minute they get comfortable, again, you migrate back to mediocrity and then you don't push the envelope in terms of differentiation and innovation. Yeah, I completely agree with that. 
I think it can be hard to keep that at the forefront. So it's important to talk about stuff like that because sometimes things are going really well and you're focusing on the day-to-day -day business and you're just trying to get things done. And it can be difficult to remember to zoom out a little bit and take a look at your people and make sure everybody is still invested and being challenged because that's what people want to do. Nobody wants to be bored. For sure. And to that point, I like to provide again the overlay like the reality right especially if we're working in a remote environment it's very easy for people to cocoon to get isolated to get bored and you don't constantly work at the culture constantly keep on top of things from, even just from a mental health perspective the thinking crumble right very much like a house the foundation crumbles and the whole thing falls down upon itself as an example this morning i spent a half an hour on teams just hitting up 10 people that I haven't spoken to like in a week, not only business-wise, but also personally, because it's important for me to understand the morale of the organization. If you don't consistently make that part of your job, it's very easy for it just to be missed. And then again, people get comfortable and, and then you just don't push it. As somebody who has hired a bunch of people in the last couple years and is currently within a remote work environment and on top of what could be a new wave of how people work in the future. What do you see as the biggest limitation companies put on themselves when they're hiring right now that really isn't necessary, whether it used to be necessary and isn't anymore and it's something that's an outdated mode of thinking or some traditional hiring practice that you feel just doesn't serve when you're trying to get the best people around you. How can companies expand their outlook on the hiring process and therefore their opportunities, really? First of all, obviously, if you're embracing the remote work environment, geography doesn't come into play. In the past, you were in situations where if the headquarters was in Chicago, like you'd want everybody in Chicago and then therefore the pool of candidates got smaller. So allowing yourself to hire for talent and not geography expands your horizons. And you need to be comfortable with the fact that, hey, if I hire someone in Denver or LA or San Francisco, as well as Tampa, New York, Nashville, we can still make this thing work. Having a level of comfortability that these individuals can meld really quickly in your organization, I think it's key. Having that written manifesto in terms of the culture is necessary so that you can feel comfortable. And then back to sort of the tactical area of hiring, I've personally, as we spoke about on the podcast today, is to get rid of the sort of the norms over the past 20 years that you had to have X amount of years of experience in this specific job or work for this specific company or call on this specific account to be successful. I'm just more so, again, if you're a smart person and a go-getter, a real entrepreneur, you're going to be successful. Uh, and, you know, I think education to some extent is important, but also what experiences have you had? I really like hiring folks that were athletes in college, as an example, because it shows me that they have a strong work ethic, play a sport, be successful in school as well, and have a competitive drive. And it doesn't mean everybody needs to be an athlete. It's just an example of something I look at on a resume and say, okay, that's interesting. And that might be 
something that differentiates that individual versus the next individual, or if they started their own company or in clubs, things like that. So it's not just always the cookie cutter, hey, uh, they have an MBA and they work for this company for five years and that company. And, and listen, as you know, too, especially with younger folks in the workforce, they're jumping around a lot more now than when I was coming up through the ranks. So you can't just discard someone because they were only at a company for 18 months as an example. You need to probe as to why they were only there. But lots of people have stories that make sense that they just needed to move on for whatever reason. But in a lot of cases in the past, I think those folks wouldn't even be interviewed, right? Because they'd be labeled as job jumpers and someone that was going to be toxic for your organization. I don't see that as the case. At the end of the day, the bottom line delineator for me is always like, hey, do I want to have, let's call it beer or a non-alcoholic drink with an individual and just sit and wrap? And that can still be done virtually. doesn't need to be done in person. It it is in many ways better in person to do that. But, you know, if you can just have a conversation with someone, then you can feel good, at least for our purposes, that they can fit within the culture. You know, my point is, discard sort of the old ways of screening candidates and really dig a little bit deeper and you'll find folks that really fit your culture and can help you move the needle from a business perspective. What do you feel has been the biggest payoff for you so far in executing this hiring strategy and getting the team around you that you've built? What have been some of the wins that you've experienced as a result of the team you've gathered around you? First and foremost is the launch of Halo Elevate. I think you're familiar with the brand that we launched within the pet specialty channel, Petco Pet Supplies Plus, independent pet food stores. The execution of that from a formulation perspective, from packaging, from the marketing going forward is a true representation of the diversity that we have within the organization and and the expertise. Also, the launch of our new campaign, which you can see on halopets.com. An ad that's very much geared toward millennial Gen Z pet parents embracing insight around, we call it the world's best food for the world's best kids. That was by design internally embraced from a diversity of thought perspective, but also then the agency partners that we brought in. We took the same approach that we would, in terms of hiring an internal resource as we would an external resource, which I, I think is really important too is to make sure that external partners, whether it be a creative agency, media buying agency, whatever the case may be, fits the mindset and the culture of what you're trying to accomplish from a company perspective. So, you know, we partner with an agency called Humanot that, again, maybe you'll laugh about this, never did anything really in pet, came off a successful campaign with Liquid Death Mountain Water, which was a brand that had disrupted and differentiated itself within the bottled water space. So I said, wow, okay, if they can do that there, they can do that within pet. And I don't care if they know the difference between a golden doodle and a Rottweiler. If they can create an ad that breaks through the clutter, then there's someone that we want to join with us. Those are two perfect examples of us driving towards a point of differentiation because of the people that we hired and the mindset that we established from a cultural perspective. Let's dive into that a little bit more because I love the idea of taking your culture and expanding it 
outside of the people who are specifically employed by your company, work for your company, to third-party people who you might bring in for whatever reason. What are some of the differences that you look at compared to if you were hiring somebody full-time to work for the company? Or do you treat it as an interview process similar to when you're hiring someone for the company and have the conversations and see what their vibe is? What is the research and the thought process that goes into bringing an outside company into your culture? I personally see it in terms of there being little difference between internal and external. We're all a team and you know, we might be paying someone to be on our team for six months or 12 months. They need to fit within the culture because if they do, then we unlock a real weapon. And if they don't, it will slow things down. So in the same vein, I and my marketing team would look at an agency's portfolio and that would be sort of a measuring stick of do they meet the needs in terms of pushing it from a differentiation perspective? And then, you know, hey, if that makes the cut, then it's really about the conversations with the stakeholders within that external resource to know that we're on the same wavelength. And not only on the same wavelength, but that they're going to push us and they're going to make us uncomfortable. I think a lot of times, I mean, I have personal experience that we as the business owners bring in a partner and then totally chop their legs underneath them and vanillaize the process and the idea because we take ownership of it versus letting them maintain ownership. Therein lies a unique combination of making sure we bring in a partner that's strong enough to stand up for its ideas and ideals and push us and make us uncomfortable. And then again, on our side, to be humble enough to admit that they're the experts there. They know what they're doing. We're going to trust them. So it's very much the same process, internal versus external. And then what's really cool about the external resources is it provides you even more flexibility to change the accretive cultural aspects of that organization on an ongoing basis. As an example, if I felt like our marketing was stagnating, I might bring in a, even a more avant-garde agency to work on that specific piece of business to sort of poke the bear, if you will. That gets back to me and my role sitting up top and really seeing the whole process and making sure I understand where I can make people uncomfortable. In some ways, it might be you know, bringing in an external partner to push us because sometimes, again, we migrate back to the norm internally and then a fresh set of eyes externally can help really advance our process. I love the idea you're promoting of basically being comfortable with being uncomfortable and on the one hand creating a culture where people feel free to be uncomfortable and take risks and modeling that as the head of the company so that it flows down through all of your directors and management and down all the way through, because like you said, leadership and culture and everything need to come from the top and having it be an asset that people feel like they can push themselves rather than something that could be really anxiety inducing if people didn't feel like they had the freedom to fail essentially in a quest to make the company better and build a better brand. I absolutely love that idea. 
And, you know, I just to pile on there, what I also preach to our organization is it also needs to come from the ground up. Once we establish what the culture is, everyone has to work at it to make it their own and also be a credo. As an example, I challenge my team on a monthly basis to do the same thing, reach out to three to five people establish a personal relationship. And so I, it can't just be me and my job to do it. It needs to be theirs. And because they've embraced that, that's what's made our organization so strong and have our ability to trust each other. And I think that's really key, Lindsay, and especially in this remote work environment is, can you establish a relationship of trust amongst the ranks that doesn't slow down the process. And again, everybody does their job and nobody's looking over someone's shoulder. So it very much is top down, but also bottoms up approach in terms of building that culture. And then when you do that, you create, in my mind, a sense of security for people to take risks, to really push it because their peers and superiors as well embrace that mindset. That's what's allowed us to really take some chances. And again, if you, I think you've probably seen our ad and our campaign coming out and you'd probably hopefully say, wow, okay, those guys are doing something different. And listen, we're probably pissing some people off too, which is okay, right? I'm always a believer in things need to be polarizing. It needs to be either people love it or hate it. If they just lukewarm to something, it will just die out over time. And we're not in a situation that we can do that we need to push it and grow this thing really quickly, which we are, but the only way to keep pushing it and grow, and especially in an industry where there's a lot of clutter, as you very well know, you need to continue to just push it and push it and push it. I think that is a great and very true sentiment to end on. One of the big conversations in the industry right now is how to stand out and all the different ways to make that happen. And when you put on top of that, the fact that we are coming up on a transition in terms of hiring people and how people want to work and what people are looking for in their jobs and careers and what companies need to be looking for. I felt like this was a really important and great conversation to have because you have been in the thick of it, trying to get a team around you during a pandemic and figuring out how you want to do things. The interesting thing at the end of the day is, and use that analogy, right? If you build it, they will come. You don't have that ability when you're first starting out, but after call it 12 months or so, if you build that culture and also then build and produce the output in terms of a package that sits on a shelf or an ad that's served up on TikTok or Instagram, people see it and they want to be part of it. It really almost self-selects the individuals that you want in your company because they identify with what you're trying to accomplish. Where in the beginning, it's you not really have as much to show, if that makes sense, where later on the product's there. So they can say, yeah, I want to be part of this or I don't. So it's another layer of sort of filtering out individuals that fit the culture. Absolutely. And I really appreciate you giving us a look into all the decisions you made for Better Choice, because I know that there was a lot going into that. And I knew you would have some great insights and some things that I think the industry needs to hear about how to keep this industry thriving in the future. Before we wrap up, I do want to do a little bit of a plug. So where can people find you and where can people find Better Choice? 
if folks are looking for more information on the Better Choice Company in our in our stock, which is on the New York Stock Exchange uh, stock ticker BTTR, you can go to BetterChoiceCompany.com. That's our investor relations site. Our brand site is HaloPets.com, and you'll find information on both the Halo, Halo Elevate brand as well as the Halo Holistic brand. Excellent. That's it for this episode of Trending Pet Food. You can find us on PetFoodIndustry.com, SoundCloud, or your favorite podcast platform. You can also follow us on Instagram at Trending Pet Food Podcast. Once again, I'm Lindsay Beaton, your host and editor of Pet Food Industry Magazine, and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you.